0: It's not just the sales and marketing, and it's not just finance, it's all of those that sort
1: of collaborate together. Don't just think you can replace a system and solve all your problems. You
0: know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage
1: it. I think it's also just keep it simple.
2: Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by a and energy leaders tackling key issues and trends in the industry. Hello, and welcome to The Next Imperative. On today's episode, we're gonna talk about supply chain issues. Joining me are Sean LaFere and Jacques Duplantis, both managing directors here at Alvarez & Marsal. Sean, would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Yeah, um, Sean Lafierre, I'm a managing director, as you mentioned here at a and I've been with the firm for about 17 years and I lead the uh, national supply chain practice. Jacques?
1: Yeah. And Jacques Duplantis, I'm a managing director here in our energy practice, uh, namely focused on all things oil fuel services.
2: And I'm Jeff Angulo, a senior director here at Alvarez and Marsal, and your host. Sean, can you help set the stage for the current supply chain environment? Yeah, let me
0: maybe kind of give you a fairly brief explanation of what we've seen the last few years. I would argue that five years ago, supply chain wasn't a very popular topic, but obviously when COVID hit, uh, things changed. So when everything happened in 2020, obviously saw a run on uh, goods, right? So everybody was at home. You couldn't spend money on services. We saw the toilet paper shortages uh, and things of that nature. Kind of continued into 2021, but 2021 introduced a, a whole series of other problems. We saw all the logistical problems at the ports. We start to see a lot of stimulus into the economy. People still can't leave their house. And so, again, you still have a run on goods, not so much services. 2022 we start to see a little bit of a bullwhip effect so all of these companies that had run out of everything across all industries all sectors start to really replenish inventory set safety stocks a lot higher then what we start to see is people get out in 2022 return to some services spending and people are starting to get a little bit scared their belts are starting to tighten a little bit because of the inflationary pressures then let's kind of fast forward to 2023 The companies that have been dealing with this pain for the first two or three years have started to make serious adjustments in their supply chain. So what I mean by that is they've started to diversify their supply base and not just rely on certain geographies around the world. They've decided to perhaps move production, move their distribution network into other areas that started to then create a little bit of chaos as well. And so uh, everything's a little bit different in terms of the way that I plan, in terms of how I think about carrying inventory, how I service uh, my customers and so forth. So, you know, 2023, which is probably most relevant as to what we wanna talk about today, we're starting to see a lot more momentum in, in in kind of two areas. One is sort of triage around working capital, interest rates are up, so that's important. And then I'll throw a few acronyms at you, the acronym of SIOP, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot today, Sales, Inventory, and Operations Planning. Again, kind of a glorified way to really talk about planning, demand planning, supply planning. Um, and so those are really the hot topics of, of today, and maybe you might want to talk to Jacques a little bit about how it's affecting OFS.
2: Great segue, Jacques. How is it affecting OFS? No, I,
1: I think in OFS. I mean, look, if we if we look, you know, everything Sean said, which I agree with, OFS was probably already challenged going into the pandemic. So if we go back to twenty twenty. Um, You look at the markets, we were coming out of a downturn in the 2015-2016 cycle and marching our way back up, Um, and and the market was starting to stabilize and when COVID came, the pandemic came, the bottom really fell out of the market. Um, And what that caused was from a planning standpoint, um, a real challenge for a lot of these companies. I mean, if you think about it, I'll say it, there's a lot of companies with different levels of maturity in the space. Um, some plan really well, and, and they're really good at these kind of processes and, and demand and supply planning. There's others that you know, they're not as mature. Um, what we saw was a combination of things. All of a sudden your your customer profile, or not your profile, but the customer demand is gonna change because all of a sudden the market's slowing down, we're not drilling like we were. Uh, customers are tightening their belts, as Sean mentioned. So for the service companies and the equipment providers, that, that's creating a challenge. You've got a work from home environment where you know, all of a sudden, I'm used to being out in the field or in an office. You know, internally, my, my planning folks can go out into the shop floor um, or they can go out into the yard and see what's going on. They're they're having those conversations that, that relate to supply and demand planning. My salespeople are interfacing with the customers on a regular basis, going to less, things like that. All those things stop happening, so that that exacerbates the problem that you're not having that collaboration and communication. Um, I think you can compound that even further, and you look at um, as you know as we started going or coming out of the the, the pandemic, um, you know the demand started to return. But then we had other things going on where you had things related to the wave of, I'll say bankruptcies and consolidations that we saw. And, and some of this goes back to the 2015, 2016 downturn, but more recently we saw a lot of that, you know, during the pandemic. If you have a customer that you're tuned into and you're planning your supply and things you need to service that customer, and all of a sudden they went, you know, they filed for bankruptcy, that causes issues. Conversely, if that, that customer all of a sudden gets bought, consolidated by another ENP operator, that can cause an issue because you know the question remains if they're going to continue to be your customers. So you had issues like that. And then lastly, what we've seen is the um, the transition, the energy transition. So with the energy transition, if you think about that, there's a couple challenges. One is a lot of these companies are now committing to a certain cash from their shareholders going to um, the investors, back to the investor community through buybacks or share repurchases in dividends, et cetera. But the other part of that is now with the capital I have or the cash I have, how do I support my business? And you're in you're in a business now where we've traditionally done a lot of the same things over the years, but there's pieces of the transition where people are doing things like, for an example, electrifying equipment, whether that's you know, frack pumps, compression, things of that nature, where now you're having to decide is how much of that do I spend on the transition? And then now I have two separate types of equipment potentially where I've got to um, not just the equipment itself, the capital investment, but also the OPEX spend where I've got to now stock certain parts for my, MR, my maintenance uh, and operations. So all those things added up really specific to oil fuel services um, to, to compound this problem. And it gets back to, as Sean said, PSYOP, that's one of the things we look at to, to remedy that. It's really fixing this process, getting that collaboration in place, um, getting people to talk so they understand what their needs are and matching that to the demand, which leads to efficiency for everyone.
2: Now that we've got a good understanding of market dynamics, Sean, how are you advising your clients to think about their own supply chains and how to make improvements?
0: Well, I think that depends probably um, on the sector or um, the nature of the business. So my previous answers were probably a little bit more product focus. Um, there, are, of course, our services companies that still deal with inventory, but they don't have quite as elaborate of, again, I'll go to the PSYOP, you know, which is a sales inventory um Operations planning—we used to call it SNOP. Um, it may not be as elaborate, and so what I mean by that is they may be managing inventory based on like reorder points or min/max or things of that nature. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. So, but basically, though, at the end of the day, you, you hear the uh, kind of the the consulting verbiage of you know people process technology. I mean, ultimately, we need to make sure that there's a technology that supports. The overall SIOP process. We need to make sure that the process is the right one. So, does that mean that I'm again, I'm going to use acronyms DRP, MRP, MPS, reorder point, min max? Are we managing our inventory in an appropriate manner um, given the nature of our business? And then, do we have the people in place um, to make all of that work? So Ultimately, once we sort of understand that, then really what we're doing is not an overly complex exercise, it's that we're trying to get and understand turns by skew. And if we've got good visibility into all of our inventory, and we know that it's moving at appropriate levels, and we can identify what's slow moving or obsolete, that's sort of our first piece of the puzzle in terms of how we're going to go in and tell a client what's broken, what's working. And then from there, once we have that analysis, we again, circle back and address do we have gaps or deficiencies again within our technology that's helping us run the business, or is it a people problem or is it a process
2: problem? Jacques, can you add some color from the oil field services perspective? Yeah, I think, you know,
1: I agree with everything Sean said. I think the biggest thing there, it's, I mean, it's, as he said, at the root of this is in process people and technology. Um, I, I don't think what we see in oil field services is, you know, that much different from probably the broader market when you look at this as a function across multiple industries. Um, You know, there's processes out there, I think, in oilfield services are lacking. You know, a lot of oilfield service companies have been, you know, some of these have been put together through mergers and acquisitions, and they didn't consolidate processes. Um, In some cases, we see issues where they're, they're functioning in silos where, you know, once again, I mentioned collaboration earlier that collaboration is not taking place between different functions within the company or sometimes different different interfaces with the customer back to that demand side. So I think that's that's a piece of it. I think the systems, you know, Sean touched on this again. Um, I, I've seen it time and time again where either the, the systems don't exist, the data in the systems is bad, and or people don't trust the systems, so they're constantly overriding, you know, what maybe an optimization systems is telling they need in terms of their mins and maxes and those kind of things. Um, so that's probably the other things that I see um, in addition to what Sean's mentioned.
2: Sean, you mentioned SIOP, which is a great and interesting topic. Can you expand on some of the indicative pain points that are impacted with it and how it tries to solve?
0: Yeah, I'll probably be a bit repetitive in my answer. But um, again, it goes back to to people not trusting a forecast. Um, because if I don't have my demand plan right, then basically the supply plan is going to work off of the demand plan. And so... Again, I, I get planners that don't trust the plan, right? And then so, you know, it's almost like I might as well not have a system. So typically, you know, again, I mentioned that in 2023, we're doing t- two types of work, right? It's sort of improving the existing working capital position, which I would order is more or argue is more of a triage activity fixing the PSYOP is much more of a long-term sort of sustainable process thing. And that's where you've got to start at the top with the demand planning process and make sure that we're running iterations that we're considering external factors that we're not just going off of history or otherwise history will simply repeat itself in terms of the mistakes that we made.
2: Sure, and that goes to Jacques' points earlier about loss of communication through working at home and, and just not talking to the clients, or clients disappearing as they combine uh, and their priorities change.
1: Well, I think I'd add too. I mean, when you look at that, the pain points. There's the things that sit in that. When you look broader, it's it's really it's revenue. It's it's cost and efficiency, um, is what we see. And I would say, from a revenue standpoint, it's back to if you don't have a good plan. You know, in some cases, you may have more than what you need. Well, you can service your customer in those cases. But when you don't have enough, the customer can go somewhere else. You can lose a customer in that case. When you look at cost. Um, if we talk about the fire drill and the firefighting that a lot of times happens in, in you know, in absence of a strong process, that leads to excess overhead costs to, to manage that. Not to mention you run into issues with, uh, you know, last-minute logistics, hot shotting materials and equipment, those kind of things. Uh, that that's going to drive up your cost as well. And then from an efficiency standpoint. Um, you know, if you're always dealing with variability and issues, you're just not going to be efficient as an organization. So that's also going to add to the overhaul cost as well. And those are all things we see across a number of our OFS clients, um, you know, where where this is an issue or this is this is one of the things they need to look at as part of remedying the problem.
2: I guess this question relates really to both of you. For your clients that have seen the light and, and understand and buy into the process, where do you start?
0: Well, I think there's a... Who was it? Maybe Peter Drucker that said um, something along the lines of, um, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Um, and so that, that your see the light type question is, I think a lot of our clients that have invested in the analytics and the dashboards and understanding where they've got red flags with existing inventories or can start to see where they're going to have issues uh, related to their supply plan or meeting customer you know, fulfillment requirements. Um, that's probably been one of the biggest, um, turning points that have probably seen in recent years. And, um, you know, it's just becoming a much more popular thing, right? Like dashboards and, um, analytics and being able to do that. But the companies that are getting out in front of that are the ones that I see having the most success.
1: Well, I, th- I think I'd say from where we start, I mean, a, a, a typical process, is going to be coming in and and looking at that problem. So a lot of times what we'll do up front is we'll, you know, as we start to engage a client in these kind of conversations, we'll ask for a list of data that we want to see, right? It's it's their inventory. It's the turns on that inventory. It's their operating locations and the volume of business they've got through those locations, um, the people that support these processes. We'll ask for that data. We'll want to look at it. We may set up some initial interviews. um, And then from there, we'll typically go into some workshops or sort of some um, you know, process mapping Kaizans for those you know, familiar with lean processes. And then from there, it's really starting to identify where those root problems are and the waste or the value of fixing that waste. And once we get through that, we can start to look at, you know, what are the priorities? What's it gonna take to fix these things? What does it cost? And I say net cost because um, it's easy to say, this is the value in fixing the problem, but what does it cost to fix that problem? What are the risks? What are the intangibles, the intangibles in terms of how much time it's gonna take? Is it a system upgrade? Those kind of things. Once we get that mapped out, we can define a roadmap, and then we usually go from there and we'll help them execute that plan. But that's a typical approach for this.
2: Sean, what other challenges do your clients face when implementing a SIOP system?
0: Well, I guess in addition to what we've talked about, one thing I guess I failed to mention so far in our discussion is... Um, a good SIOP process is very collaborative. So it's not just the procurement department. It's not just the sales and marketing and it's not just finance. It's all of those that sort of collaborate together. And so companies that do it the right way typically do monthly or quarterly reviews. Um, so that's that's a, a big piece of the puzzle really that, that we haven't mentioned. Um, again, I'll reiterate having systems in place that can help support this. I think one of the newer Things that we're seeing in effective uh, demand planning uh, is being able to look at like um, concepts like demand sensing, where we're starting to look at external factors in the marketplace. So when you think about it, in the old world, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, the way you figured out what your demand plan was going to be next year is you kind of looked at what you did last year, right? And you kind of based it on history. Well, now there's a number of other, you know, macroeconomic factors, geopolitical factors that could come into play um, that companies are starting to to bring into the whole SIOP process that in theory, you know, would make it much more effective and accurate.
2: So becoming much more advanced. Sure. In the inputs that come into yeah. it and the modeling. Great. I, I Chuck, mean I'd, what can you add?
1: I I think some of the other challenges that people have, it's it's I've seen this time and time again in oil fuel services where people fall in the trap of it's a technology problem. So we talk about systems and people come to say, hey, I need a system that's gonna fix this problem. Well, the system's not gonna fix the problem unless you have the right process in place. So it goes back to things Sean talked about, getting the right people involved, having that, that process in place, or processes. And then I'll say the last piece is that is what I like to call sustainability. So you, you fix your processes, you fix your pro, your, your systems, But how do you make it sustainable? Do you have the right metrics in place? Is management committed to it? Are you gonna continue to hold people accountable for those things? Um, You know, one of the things we've seen oil field services, you know, where I focus my time is, I I call it the, the carrot and the stick. It's easy to use the stick to get people to do things. But then when there's something else that needs the stick, people tend to go back to their own way of doing things. So how do you incentivize people constantly and get them to change their behaviors and, and march towards that, which gets back to the metrics piece? So I think, you know, really, if you look at those, I'll say those are three things. Those are the biggest challenges we see um, and the ones that people need to think about going in. But most foremost up front, it's going to be don't just think you can replace a system and solve all your problems.
2: Gentlemen, final question before we wrap up. What are one or two key pieces of information you'd like a, a COO or a chief procurement officer to take away from this conversation to put back through into their organization to make changes?
0: Again, I'll probably kind of repeat what I had mentioned earlier. I think it's the analytics and the visibility uh, into your inventory. Uh, I think anecdotally, traditionally, a lot of companies fall into the trap of measuring inventory turns in aggregate, I mean, which is fine, right? I can go look at any publicly... Available, you know, 10K, and I can figure out what inventory turns are. But what I really can't do is then segment it down by a skew level. And that's what's causing pain, really. Um, Typically, we'll have a CFO or a COO say, Hey, our turns are worsening. Well, are they really worsening on the top 50% of your products? Probably not. What you've got is you've got a bunch of obsolete or very slow moving inventory stuff that you've had on the shelves or out in the yard for multiple years now that's sort of bringing that down. So that's probably my 30,000 foot advice is is develop the analytics. It's not that hard in being able to see, you know, that level of information down to the SKU level.
1: The only other thing I'd add is I think when you look at this, I mean, we talk about the process, and the systems and the, the traps that people fall into. But I think it's also just keep it simple. I mean, one of the things we found time time again, and, you know, I'll say oil field services, industrial sectors is, um, Making that solution a simple solution that people can follow. It's going to be easier to adopt. And if they can adopt it easier, it's going to be easier to follow back to that sustainability. And you can get the results you're looking for. So keep it simple would be the biggest thing I would would say, both as you design your processes and as you think about your systems.
2: Gentlemen, thank you for the stimulating conversation. I enjoyed it and I feel like I learned a lot. To our audience, we hope you found this conversation stimulating and that you'll join us again on future episodes of The Next Imperative. Please like and subscribe. At your favorite podcast location and or look for us at the Alvarez and Marcel website. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.